Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The world is filled with many questions, such as, did giants exist? What is junk DNA? Does it mean that you're trash? Do you ever wonder if aliens have underwater bases in our oceans, and that's why there are so many UFO sightings off the coasts of islands all over the world? How serious even is climate change, and when should we start building our rafts? Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Bruna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything, available everywhere you get your podcasts. It began long ago. Two young boys in an American town riding their bikes to school and Little League practice. Over the years, the boys became fast friends, united in their love for stories where things would go horribly wrong. Pour yourself a strong beverage and buckle up. You're in the shallow end with Schnebley and Toth. So we haven't really talked about our trip that we all took together, Kat and I and Lindsay and uh, and his wife, Nan. We went to uh, Mexico, Cabo San Lucas, for a few days. Our very first time there, ever. Yeah, it was called a, we called it a corporate retreat, but uh, it was really just a drunken brawl from the beginning. <laughs> there was a lot of this. Yeah, there was. <laughs> Beautifully timed. A lot of that, yeah. <laughs> I've been waiting hours for that. <laughs> um, I went into this trip very nervous because I'd never met you, Lindsay, and, and Nan in person. And uh, so, of course, I was concerned about, you know, how that was going to go and if you were going to like me and you guys are so cool and... Oh, but uh, then I met Dick Guy, and he made me feel so much better. <laughs> Dick well, guy. first off, I need to I need to tell people that Nancy and I were just stunned at the fact that you had actually been anxious about meeting us. Because if you really knew us, you would be you would just feel sorry for us rather than <laughs> have any kind of admiration well, or respect. Yeah. And it was like. We were looking at each other thinking, who did she think was going to come on this trip? <laughs> this is not like George and Amal Clooney. You know, it's uh, <laughs> this is just a couple of schlubs from L.A. But we were all working on various characters. And uh, Kat's referring to uh, your your character, uh, Dick Guy, which which we loved. Uh, and ironically, uh, my mom, who is who is not doesn't doesn't a cotton to a sarcastic kind of sense of humor actually finds the character of Dick Guy to be hysterical, <laughs> which makes him even more enjoyable to do. So this came from my, my uh, good friend Paul Penalino years ago when I was visiting him in New York, and he was, uh, was working on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart at the time, and we were driving from his place in, uh, not upstate New York, but the, the Hudson Valley, Pomona, New York and driving down Palisades Parkway through New Jersey, he drops me off to do a job at CNBC before he crosses the George Washington Bridge to go to work. So we stop, it's early in the morning, we stop at a Starbucks and I'm pulling up the street map of where CNBC is located. 
and I show it to Paul on my phone, and he just glares at me and says, well, that's not nearly big enough to read. You're going to have to make that much bigger if I can, if I can help you with this. Just out of nowhere. And I look at him like, my God, what have I done? Who is this? And he starts to laugh. And I realize it's a joke. And he says, that's a, that's a new character I just created. I call him Dick Guy. And so for the rest of that trip, Dick Guy would make these appearances at the most inopportune times, the most inappropriate times, like walking into a restaurant or uh, one day I had gone for a, a run around the reservoir in Central Park and I had come back and the mileage that was on my watch, a running watch, was different than what was posted on Google Maps. And so I said to him very offhandedly <laughs> over dinner that night, you know, it's funny, the, uh, the, the Google Maps said that run would be about 5.3 miles, but my watch says it's 5.2. And he's making dinner in the kitchen and he throws down this giant aluminum spoon like you would use to dish out a salad, throws it in the sink and turns around and says, well, you know what we're going to do? We're not going to have dinner tonight. We're going to go into the city and we're going to go around Central Park with a paintbrush and a big can of paint. And we're going to correct every single piece of signage that we see so people know that it matches your watch. And uh, So you, you came to love this character. Came to love Dick Guy. And we've come to love Dick Guy as well. We suggest you do too. <laughs> Maybe Dick Guy will make an, an unscheduled appearance from time to time. You never know. On the shallow end. <laughs> you guys remember that story about the genius who thought he could get away with robbing a bank by splashing lemon juice on his face because it would make him invisible? Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, to prove... That the vast majority of would-be bank robbers are not the sharpest tools in the shed, I submit this story. Last December, a 44-year-old California man whose name was McRoberts Williams, which by the way, I love that, that name. Is, That's a nice. great name. McRoberts Williams. He decided it'd be a good idea to rob a bank. It's the thing, I'm going to go back to the name. <laughs> the thing about the name is like, it's a switcheroo. Yeah. Because it sounds like it should be William McRoberts. Right. Exactly. But it's not. It's McRoberts Williams. I love it. I wonder if, it, did, it, did his friends call him McBobs? I don't know. For short? <laughs> I think we should. Mm. Yeah. Mc, McBobs was living at the time in Wilmington, Delaware. After doing extensive research on potential targets, he settled upon the Wells Fargo Bank branch on Old Capitol Trail in Wilmington. And uh, no idea why he chose that particular branch, but he had done some research. I imagine he made several preliminary visits to case the joint, as uh, bank robbers call it. Uh, at least that's what I believe. Taking note of the exits, how many teller windows they were, where the security guard was. He also took note of when the armored car would show up for cash drop-offs. He did his homework. Sounds like. After meticulously drawing up his bank robbing plan, he decided, based on that information, that uh, the best day to rob the bank would be on a Saturday. So he chose December 11th of 2021. McRoberts, or McBobs, if you, if you will, mm. <laughs> is, is an unassuming-looking man based on his mugshot. Um, he could easily blend in to any crowd. So he enters this bank, and he stood in line to wait his turn. Soon a female teller was free, and she waved him over. He quietly slid a note across the teller's desk. Wouldn't want to do that loudly. No. 
You want to draw attention to oneself. Now, the bank tellers are trained for this type of possible scenario. And from what I understand, they're told to comply and not jeopardize their lives or the lives of those around them. And that's what this bank teller did. She loaded the bag with an undisclosed amount of cash and handed it over to McBob's. (laughs) Witnesses say he seemed very composed, very calm, probably because he was familiar with the bank layout and he had a plan in his mind. So the teller slides this bag of cash over to him and he quietly and calmly picks it up and strolls out of the bank. Sounds like his plan is working so far. So far, so good. Certainly appeared that way. And he may have actually gotten away with this if it wasn't for the very next thing that he did. So he gets this bag of money that he had just robbed the bank for. He walks out the front door. Now, if this were you, what would you do next? I would be crapping my pants because I just robbed robbed a bank. (laughs) So you're standing there with a bag of cash and a pant load of poo. (laughs) What would be the next thing you would do? I would try to remember where I parked my getaway car. (laughs) Yes, a getaway vehicle. Ah. Or at least have some sort of mapped out on foot route that you could evade capture by taking. You need to get out of there and you need to hide the money. As fast as you can. Not McBob's. His plan was this. Rob the bank, take the money outside, and then redeposit it in the ATM located on the outside of the bank that he just robbed. God in heaven, you're kidding me. Yeah, so he's out there. He puts his card in. He punches in his four-digit pin. He deposits all the money into his account, into the machine. He closes out the transaction. Then he stands there and waits for his receipt. Dear God. So he gets his receipt, and then he runs. He runs behind the Price's Corner shopping center to make his getaway. But because he took so much time redepositing the money into the bank that he just withdrew it from illegally, police that were on their way to the robbery scene had made it as far as Price's Corner shopping center. It was almost like they were just waiting for him to finish his transaction. (laughs) Good grief. McRoberts Williams was arrested by police without incident. He was charged with second-degree robbery, which is a felony. He was then transported to the Howard R. Young Correctional Institution, where he was held on $6,000 cash bond, according to the Delaware State Police news release. Only $6,000 bond? For robbing a bank? Okay. And it was a second-degree robbery, so I guess that must mean it was not armed or... Yeah. yeah. Well, it's not hmm. a big deal because he's got all that money deposited now. Right. He's, he's <laughs> he can more than cover that that six grand. Right. Sure. Sure. It's not a good idea. I think that once one robs a bank to to go and redeposit the money at the same bank you robbed thirty seconds ago. It's almost like it's a half robbery because he's taking the money, but then he's putting it literally putting it back in <laughs> right back the in. bank. Yeah, it's just kind in of his a Robin account. Hood situation. <laughs> it is. It's like yeah. Now it's not that <laughs> uncommon for criminals to return to the scene of a crime, but oh my god, that's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this guy named Herbert McClellan. 27-year-old man from Clearwater, Florida. This was August of 2020. Wait, a Florida man? Yeah. On the shallow end? I find that hard to believe. (laughs) Pish. He was at uh, a Speedway store, which is a a convenience store slash gas station type of place. Like a Circle K kind of thing. Sure. It was 2 o'clock in the morning 
on a Tuesday morning, and there was only one other person in the store working at the time, and that person was busy doing something else like stocking a cooler or something. So that's when uh, McLennan reached over the counter and stole 13 scratch-off tickets worth about 100 bucks. He then quietly slipped out of the store and returned to his house. He was so excited. He immediately started scratching the tickets off and was thrilled to see that he had a $30 winner. And he couldn't wait to cash it in. So he went back to the very same Speedway store that he had just robbed 10 minutes before to do so. Of course. According to the Clearwater Police Department's Facebook page, quote, that's when the store workers gave us a call and we arrested him. <laughs> according, according to jail records, McLennan was charged with petty theft, dealing with stolen property, and driving us with a suspended license for the second time. Oh, yeah. and driving with a suspended license. Yeah, not once, but twice. So I guess, really, if you're going to commit a crime, don't go back... And yeah. if, you, if you plan to, at least wait a little bit of time. Good advice. My information sources include the Tampa Tribune, the Clearwater Police Department's Facebook page, Fox 5 in New York City, mm. and wbzradio.iheart.com. Wow. Yeah. Crooks is dumb. You're in the shallow end with Schnitley and Toff. From the outside, Keeper's Bank looks like most every other bank you see. We're on major street corners. We have friendly tellers. Welcome to Keeper's Bank. How can I help you? Even ATMs outside if you're too busy to walk in. So what makes Keeper's Bank different? It's simple. We decide if you get your money out. Here's how it works. Every deposit you make is cheerfully welcomed. But every withdrawal? Well, we've got some questions. A loan for college? Hey, great idea. Withdrawing $7,000 for a trip to Hawaii? Didn't you just go there last summer? Gotta say no to that one. $10,000 for a new car loan? What happened to your old Toyota? It was fine. At Keeper's Bank, we think watching your money is our job. We just want you to keep more of it. Keeper's Bank. It's your money. It's our bank. Keeper's Bank. Member FDIC. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Have you ever wondered what really happened to Amelia Earhart or the lost colony of Roanoke? Do you ever find yourself scouring the internet for vicious Victorians and their murders by gaslight? Or perhaps you're just sick and tired of women being constantly misrepresented or plain lied about throughout history? If so, join me, Katie Charlwood, history harlot and reader of books on Who Did What Now? The history podcast that's not your history class. Part of the Area of Media Network. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Adios, au revoir, au revoir, zen, my friends. Bye-bye. I'll be seeing you. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. 
But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is slippery when wet. But who among us isn't? You're in the shallow end with Schnepley and Toth. Guys, don't you wish we would occasionally get emails from our listeners that we could use as material? Oh, oh wait. Wait, that's right. We we do. Lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. Stephen writes, Cat and JG know me from my forever time with Box of Oddities. But since this is about me being an absolute moron in my youth, I figured this was the place to share. I must have been about 11 at the time. I was a fake skater. By that, I mean I owned a skateboard and was only able to ollie once in my entire life. <laughs> and, and because of this, I owned a hard plastic ramp. As the old adage goes, boys will be fucking stupid. Um, we decided to do some sick stunts and uh, set the ramp on fire. All of my friends jumped in on their bikes because no one was dumb enough to get that close. No one except me, that is. You see, I never learned how to ride a bike, but I did know how to be the center of attention. (laughs) Not even owning a bike, I decided I was going to jump the ramp on foot. But just running through a fire? That's not cool enough. Uh, No, I decided to douse the bottom of my shoes with lighter fluid and then set them ablaze and then run up the ramp and jump off. I have no idea how I didn't get hurt. Or maybe corresponding with great fledgling podcasts is the afterlife for dumb kids. (laughs) (laughs) I guess we'll never know. (laughs) Stephen. Well, Stephen, yes, you made it to the good place. Yeah, it was all worth it, I hope. (laughs) We also got our first email, I believe, from uh, a listener and her pig. Oh. Oh. Bridget. Writes, hey guys, just finished listening to the shallow end number 13, where Jethro talks about the guy getting electrocuted on the toilet. Good for that guy. (laughs) Anyway, Jethro kept using the term electric iron, and it bothered me so much, I just had to email in. I was listening to the podcast and walking my pig in the rainy Florida panhandle. Uh, The pig's name is Aeoli. Aeoli likes Jethro's voice, and I couldn't figure out what other iron there is. Nuclear-powered iron? Solar iron? Well, while writing this email, I realized maybe he was saying electric iron to differentiate from a nine iron. For surely the other iron isn't in reference to the old-timey fire-heated clothes iron. Well, that's where you're wrong, pig walker. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't want you to confuse it with the type of iron colonial housewives would heat in the embers of their home. That's what I told her. I said, I'm sure that he meant the electric iron. By the way, love the new show and longtime Boo listener. I feel like y'all are friends best, Bridget and Aeoli the pig. Aeoli the pig. I love it. I think that uh, the news article that I pulled that information from specifically said electric iron. So I just kind of followed suit. It's good to clarify these things, which leads 
not at all directly or tangentially to my to my story for this oh week. My all right, okay. What do you? And get? actually, it reminded me this the story I'm about to tell you reminded me of something that I learned in college. I was taking a class my senior year in public relations. It was taught by a guy named Jeff Nordenson, a fantastic guy. Uh, one of the funniest individuals I've ever met. Who, uh, Jethro, you might remember Nordenson Advertising in, in Tucson. Tucson. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, of course. And I ended up working for Jeff about two years after I graduated as a copywriter producer. But this was two years before taking his public relations class at the University of Arizona. They were talking about crisis PR and things to do and not to do. And a woman who had been riding home from work on a train somewhere in the tri-state area had had a mass of bugs fly in through an open window that were just swarming through the through the train car and people were screaming and, oh. and you know diving for cover she gets home and she she sends a letter to this railroad to the the operator of the train and says this was my experience this is awful you have to fix this this can't ever happen again and a few days later, she gets a letter from the company written specifically to her, you know, referencing your your train ride, such mm. and such a time, such and such a date. Rest assured, this has never before happened in the history of this railroad. We're shocked to learn of it. No one else has, has written in about this. We're so sorry. Please, please know it will never happen again. And thank you for taking the time to write us. If you need to contact us further, here's my direct, you know, phone, blah, 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 blah. And she thinks, wow, okay, I'm really being listened to. This is really cool. And then tucked inside the envelope, there is a slip of paper and handwritten on it. It says, send this woman the bug letter. (laughs) (laughs) So it very clearly happened all the damn time. And it became a moment for public relations instruction where companies should learn Look, just shoot straight with people, but don't, if you're going to lie to them, don't put a piece of paper in saying, send this woman the bug letter. That's hilarious. Yeah. So true, true, true. (laughs) My story is about a guy from Canada, actually from Halifax, Nova Scotia. His name is Dave Carroll, and he's a professional musician. And this starts back in 2008. He was flying from Halifax, Nova Scotia to Omaha, Nebraska, to play a show with his band. They call themselves the Sons of Maxwell. And they're actually pretty good. They're on, they're on YouTube. So they get to Chicago to deplane. And you guys know this, you, what, it, what it's like. You stand up and you pull your bags out of the overhead bin and you look around and make sure you got all your stuff. And they're standing there for a few minutes waiting to start filing out of the plane. And a woman behind the bass player for the band says out loud and and kind of shock to anybody standing around here oh my god they're throwing guitars outside and she points out the window and this is on united airlines and everybody you know stoops down to look out the window and sure enough these baggage handlers are throwing guitars oh. to each other like oh, like no. they're toys. Oh my god. Like you know go go long I'm going to throw you a you know a 20 yard pass. <sighs> and sometimes they catch the guitars and sometimes they don't and they just drop to the tarmac. Oh. And Dave actually the the guitar owner says, "What did you say again?" <laughs> and he said she said it the same way the second time it sounded just as bad as the first time she said it. <laughs> 
So sure enough, he he finally gets to a United customer service agent there at O'Hare and says, hey, uh, I'm really concerned about my guitar. Can I check to make sure it wasn't damaged? And this woman just brushes him off. She says, uh, oh, honey, that's why you signed the waiver and just keeps walking away. Oh. Uh So sure enough, Dave Carroll gets to Omaha, Nebraska, and he opens the case of this Taylor guitar that he had scrimped and saved for. And he had paid $3,500 for this acoustic guitar. It was absolutely gorgeous. Mm. But he opens the case, and sure enough, it's badly damaged. There's a huge hole in it. The the cedar top was coming off. But by the time he's gotten to his hotel, it's late at night. There's no one at this at this service desk, this United Airlines 1-800 number for complaints. And Dave said this was the beginning of a really frustrating customer service maze. Now, Dave's wife works or did at the time worked in customer service. And she says, you got to call. But here's the key. You have to be friendly, but you have to be relentless. Mm. And so he keeps calling and calling and calling, and he gets bounced off. And this happens for nine months. <gasps> Whoa. Nine months. He's calling United, and he keeps getting all kinds of excuses as, as to why they're not going to take any kind of responsibility for it at all. And they were, they were all over the place. Some, sometimes he would hear, well, uh, you have to file a complaint within 24 hours, or there's really nothing we can do. Or you're going to have to file that at the airport where it happened, which is O'Hare in Chicago. He's back in Nova Scotia. You'll have to fly here in person. But even (laughs) if you did, we couldn't do anything because it wasn't within 24 hours. He finally gets connected with a a woman at United named Ms. Earlweg, I-R-L-W-E-G. Isn't that a wild last name? Mm. Wonderful. Ms. Earlweg. Now, by the time he connects to this United rep, he has actually found somebody in Halifax who repairs the guitar, but it costs him $1,200. That's a third of what he paid for the guitar just to have it repaired. And he said the repair was okay, but it still didn't sound like it did before. And you can imagine a $3,500 acoustic guitar going through something like that. A repair is... You might be able to fix it, but it's it's just not going to be the same. It's not going to ring the same way. Right. Exactly. So he says, look, uh, could I at least get $1,200 in flight vouchers on United? Well, that's reasonable. Just reimburse me for the $1,200 that I put into fixing the $3,600 guitar that your baggage handlers were using to play football and, and broke. But... Mrs. Earlweg, Earlweg says, look, uh, you, had, you didn't open the claim within 24 hours, so this is the last thing I'm going to say about this. We're just not responsible. Please don't call anymore. So he emails her back and says, look, if I were a lawyer, I would sue United Airlines, but I'm not. And then he says, I looked to the side of my computer And I saw a guitar, my guitar, sitting next to me, and I realized, wait a minute, I've got other tools at my disposal. (laughs) 
And this is where this story just gets so freaking delicious. I could, I don't, I don't know what I could do. You could eat it. I could eat it. It's so delicious right now. What would Dick Guy say? You know, this is one of those cases where you don't need Dick Guy because Dave Carroll was so ingenious in the way he handled this that Dick Guy can just have another drink, nice and relax. <laughs> Dave Carroll warned Mrs. Erweg that he was going to write three songs about this experience and post them on YouTube because it wasn't going to cost him a dime. So Dave begins strumming, and in just a few hours, he has written his first song, and it's called United Breaks Guitars. (laughs) And the lyrics even call out Mrs. Erweg by name. Oh. So then he reaches out to friends. He's got friends in music and film industry, and he thinks, I'm going to make a video about this. And he says, what I discovered early on is that I wasn't the only one that had had this problem. It turns out that every professional musician who's ever traveled enough has had an airline damage their instrument. So there was no shortage of people who were willing to help out. (laughs) So he needed only $150, which he, he bought sombreros, fake mustaches, some makeup, lunch for his cast and crew. He's a, This guy, Dave Carroll, at the time was a volunteer firefighter in the village of Waverly, where he lived. And he talks to the fire chief into letting him shoot this video in the parking lot of the firehouse. <laughs> and that stands in for this airport tarmac where the video takes place. So before he posts this video to YouTube, Dave sends a message out to his 400 Facebook followers. That's all. He's only got 400 followers. And he says... United broke my guitar. Please watch this video. And he goes to bed. (laughs) By the time he had woken up, it had exploded. It had 300 hits. And people are, as viral works, people are emailing this to coworkers and family and friends and saying, hey, check out this video. By noon, there were 5,000 hits. Wow. By dinner time, there were 25,000 hits. And he says... It was going viral at a time when I didn't even know what a viral video was. (laughs) Within four days, United Breaks Guitars had hit a million views. Wow. 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 And a wave of press coverage ensues. And now he's starting to get calls from media saying, hey, uh, you know, talk us through this. What happens? He says, I was immediately struck by the fact that so many consumers from different parts of the world who could barely speak English were communicating the best they could, and they were saying something equivalent to, you're doing something good for customers. Thank you for what you're doing. And he says, I remember right away, there seemed to be a trend that people were saying, I wish I was a musician, because then I would have a voice too. So United Breaks Guitars became the number one music video in the world for (laughs) one month. In fact, the attention was so great that Bob Taylor, head of Taylor Guitars, calls Dave and says, hey, come to the Taylor factory in California and take any two guitars you want as gifts. Oh, my goodness. How cool is that, huh? That's pretty cool. So as, as Dave's image is starting to rise, United Airlines is feeling the pinch. Mm-hmm. And the Times of London actually attributed a 10% drop in United Airlines stock, which would have been worth $180 million. <laughs> they attribute it to Carol's video. Now, a lot of people say that's just a coincidence. Their stock was really hitting the skids. But he says, uh, I found out around the same time as the hockey playoffs were happening, 
And he says, I remember the Chicago Blackhawks started at center ice and they sort of panned back a little bit to show the sign that says United Airlines Center. And he says, I thought I was just upset that this giant brand has their own hockey arena and <laughs> and felt maybe I had something to worry about. Like it, maybe he's he's poked this hornet's nest and United is going to come kick his ass somehow. But instead of that, United, to their credit, reaches out to him to, tr- to try and make things right. <laughs> make it stop, Dave. Seven months after this last email with Mrs. Erlweg, who had said no to the $1,200 in flight vouchers, they offer him $1,200 in flight vouchers and $1,200 in cash. Now, if you're doing the math, you think, okay, that's $2,400. Uh, that's, yeah, that's reimbursing him for the damage that he paid for. But his life was changed by United Breaks Guitars. Companies and organizations start reaching out to him and they want him to come tell his story (laughs) as a textbook example of what inattentive customer service in the power of of the digital age of the internet could do. So for the past 10 years... He has been traveling the world and telling the story. He says he has spoken in over 30 different countries. Wow. My gosh. And sometimes he even gets those speaking engagements on an unlikely airline. He says, I still fly United. They say, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. (laughs) A United employee once came up to me and said, Dave, as though we were old buddies. And he sort of shielded himself from his coworkers, but he opened his jacket so they wouldn't see his hand reaching out to shake Dave's hand. (laughs) He says, I think it changed everybody. United Breaks Guitars was an early sign that in this new digital world, one customer can affect the profitability of the world's biggest brands on a budget of, in my case, $150. Wow. Companies now are listening much more closely than they ever did before. Consumers are feeling more empowered and every customer can have a voice even if he or she can't sing. Amazing. What a great story. Yeah. Way to go, Dave. Way to go, so Dave. proud of you, Dave. Nicely, nicely done. I got this from Dave's own website, davecarroll.music, wikipedia, sentium.com, and marketplace.org. Talk about making lemonade. Right? I mean, that's a great example of somebody saying, what do I have at my disposal? What is my superpower? Mm. And uh, making it work. Making it work. It was nonviolent. It wasn't aggressive. Nobody got hurt. All he did was create a piece of art to tell his story. And and then, it, you know, the, the music video did all the work. That's I amazing. It. I love it. Nicely done, Dave. Shallowendpodcast.com. That's where you can find our our web presence. Oh, I like presence. It's not just a site. Anybody can have a site. We have a web presence. Um, There's not much going on there yet, but uh, we do have a few things on there that you can check out. Also, our uh, email address, lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. We are going to be adding merch very soon. And we'll keep you up to date on that. Always love hearing from you. And if you have any story ideas, please feel free to send them. Please do that. It's less work for us. I just I just did a spit take with my ice water. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what, listeners? We should be honest. Frankly, we're tired of doing all this research crap. And if you would do the work for us and listen and subscribe, well, that would be just dandy. Oh, it's Dick Guy. Yay! Yeah. We'll see you next time, friends, and uh, remember to make good choices. Because your life might depend on it. <laughs>
So concludes another episode of The Shallow End with Schnebly and Toff. We thank you for listening. Oh, be a dear, would you? Please subscribe to this podcast, give these boys a five-star rating, and think of something nice to say, even if you have to make something up. And visit us online at shallowendpodcast.com. All content copyright 2022. Misuse of this podcast may result in serious injury or even death. Follow all label directions. This offer void in Fort Kent, Maine, and Tucson, Arizona. And parts of Orlando. Don't ask. Just trust us. Okay, gotta go. Hello everyone, Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? You get us, Queen's Podcast. And here at Queen's, we are spilling the tea on all kinds of women from history. From New Orleans voodoo queen, Marie Laveau, to Marie Antoinette, and everything in between. Each queen is paired with a cocktail recipe that will totally get you in the mood to hear the fun, dramatic, and juicy stories of fascinating women from history. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers! Cheers!